Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. Well, we get to jump into our Bible study this morning, so let me encourage you to grab your Bibles and your journals and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We are continuing our study through uh, the book of 1 Thessalonians. We'll continue on in the 2 Thessalonians as well. But we are looking at this letter that Paul the Apostle wrote to the church in Thessalonica, a church he planted during his second missionary journey, and one in which he only stayed three weeks, so it's a very young church plant. However, God did a great work in their midst, and they were not only impacting their own city, but they were also impacting other churches and other cities. And so they were really on fire for God. And that's not to say that there weren't issues and problems. In fact, that's why Paul was writing this letter. One, to encourage them to keep growing in their faith. And if you've missed any of the messages, you can go back and listen to them on our website or podcast. But we've seen Paul really excited and passionate about their love for the word of God. And when you welcome God's word, it begins to work in your life. And when it works in your life, then you become a witness for him. And there's power in God's word. And Paul said, you receive the teaching of God's word, not as the teaching of men, but as the powerful word of God with the Holy Spirit. And uh, Paul also encouraged this church how to conduct themselves in serving other people, in living a life of, of, of service towards others. And this is all in light of the return of Jesus Christ. So we're calling this series, In the Meantime, How a Christian Ought to Live Their Lives and Conduct Their Lives um, as They Wait for the Return of Jesus. You might have heard the phrase that some Christians are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. You, I don't know if you've heard that before, but that, that phrase could summarize the church in Thessalonica, that they were thinking so much ahead and they were concerned about these things in the future that they weren't living uh, for the present in their lives with other people and in the church. I mean, there's some good, but there's also some challenges. And so Paul is encouraging this church uh, to live not only Christ-like, but also during crisis. And so there was much affliction. In fact, last week we looked at having an unshaken faith that every single one of us goes through experiences in life that really rattle us and can shake us to the core. Sometimes those things we can't foresee. We don't know when they're gonna happen. Sometimes those occur because of poor choices that we make and we have to deal with the consequences. Other times it's God inspired and he brings those storms in order to shake away those things that we're leaning on and relying upon that aren't, uh, aren't of him. And that actually is gonna continue on into our study this morning where the title of the message is A Plea for Purity and we're gonna be talking about, well, this is what Paul brings up in chapter four, sexual immorality. So I thought I'd make you all very uncomfortable today by talking about sexual immorality. No, that's not what we do here. Uh, It's as we read through the scriptures, as we study God's word, he gives us the topic 
and he brings up those things for us. And we are faithful to let our hearts be exposed to what God commands in Scripture so that his word is the source of truth, not uh, anything else. And so there's a plea for purity that Paul has here, but he, uh, he presents this topic of sexual immorality in another way by looking at sanctification and being sanctified and set apart for God. And so the point that we want to remember today as we read through these verses is that God's will is completed in our lives when our walk is consecrated to him. Now, what do we mean by that? Well, Paul says something very clear about the will of God is that in these verses is that it deals with the sanctification of our lives. So if you want to know what God's will is for your life, then this is a very wonderful passage of Scripture. It provides for us the context of what God is doing in our lives through the transformation of our hearts. And uh, I've said it before that the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart, meaning that everything that deals in our lives is a heart issue and a heart matter, and God wants to change our hearts. And so maybe you might be wondering what God's will is for your life. Well, God's will includes you and I being consecrated to him, being set apart. And this word walk, Paul's going to use that as a way to describe the manner of lifestyle that we live, just the way that we live our lives, very simply. Walk has to do with the way that we walk through life and how we present that to other people in our relationship to God. And so we're going to see this in three simple ways. Uh, One is Paul is going to encourage holiness in our lives. Secondly, Paul is going to talk about the alternative to the passions of lust versus the affection and friendliness of love that we have within the church towards one another. And then thirdly, we're going to see Paul talk about the orderly manner in which we ought to live our lives as followers of Jesus. So um, we're going to just jump right into 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. But if you remember in the context, Paul just prayed at the end of chapter 3. It's a wonderful prayer. He says that he prays for God's direction so that he can come back to Thessalonica and an open door, but he also prays that they would increase and abound in love towards one another and that God would establish their hearts in blamelessness and in holiness as they wait for the return of Jesus. So that's the context that Paul talks about this plea for purity. And in verse one of chapter four, Paul says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us You ought to walk and to please God. So there's a couple of words here. Paul uses the word finally to transition into his closing remarks. So he's going to talk about a couple of other topics. And uh, the other topic is dealing with the return of Jesus, the rapture of the church, and the day of the Lord, the judgment of God. And so we're going to deal with that later um, uh, in the coming weeks, not today. But uh, so he's going to transition and yet he urges them, he uses a strong word here. This, this phrase, to abound more and more, he uses that three times in just the last previous verses, but also in the verses that we're going to read today. Because uh, we mentioned last week that every single one of us, whether we've been walking with God for uh, five days, five years, or five decades, we all have a next step in our relationship with God. There's a next step of growth to increase more and more. Because if we're not growing, we're just stagnant, we're stale, we're complacent. 
there's a sense of apathy that comes upon us where we go to church if you're part of that and you go through the motions and it becomes a routine and you, you hear another message or you read another Bible verse or you sing another song and, it, and it's really not impacting um, our lives. And Paul's saying, I don't want that to happen. That shouldn't be the life of the believer. That the scripture says, I've come to, Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. There should be a dynamic power of the Holy Spirit in our lives as we go through the routines of life, experiencing that power of God. And so Paul says, I want you to increase more and more. What is that area of increase that we can have? What is that next step of spiritual growth and maturity as we walk to please God? Now, Paul said previously, he's not trying to please men because if he was trying to please men, he wouldn't be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. When you try to please people, that means you compromise. And you can never please people. I've lived 46 years now, and I always have to remind myself, really, is that the age? I, I always skip a couple of years. I, I think I'm younger. I feel younger inside than, than I do maybe outwardly. And just recently, somebody said, you know, you look differently. And I said, well, what is different about me? I don't know. And uh, they said, oh, you don't have glasses on. I said, yeah, that's right. I started wearing contacts. And uh, then... Then they said, well, that's great, wonderful. How's it working for you? It's not working very good because, because I, I, I can see perfectly clear right now, but then I wear contacts to fix my vision afar, but then I have to wear reading glasses so that I can read up close. So I'm, I'm doubly old. That's how I figure that out. But don't worry, I can see you. You're clear. It's just halfway down. I, can, I need to read these verses. And uh, so I don't know where I was going with that one, but... Someone can help me out on the train of thought. See, I'm getting old. That's what it is right there. I can't even, what? Someone say something? Uh, see, I can't hear, I can't remember, and I can't see. Welcome to my world. It gets worse, it gets worse. good. And I can't feel, right? Oh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. But um, we're walking, we're pleasing. Paul says, I don't want to please men I want to please God there. I'm getting back to my train of thought. Uh, and if we please, we can't please people. Uh, you're all inevitably not going to please everybody, but we can please one and please God. And Paul's going to talk about how we can please God in these verses. For you know, look at verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, goes back to his teaching. For this is the will of God. Wow, this is great. This is getting to it right here. What is God's will? Your sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. It's a big word in the Bible, important word. It means to be set apart, to be made holy. There is an initial work of sanctification in our lives as our sin, though it is red, as red as scarlet, can be as white as snow. When we confess our sin, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the work of Christ on the cross that we're born again. But you and I know that just because uh, we're born again doesn't mean that we don't still struggle with sin. And that's what Paul says. Even Paul the Apostle says, I don't do the things that I want to do. And I do the things that I don't want to do. And there's a, a battle between the flesh and the spirit. Who can save me from this wretched cycle of sin? Thanks be to God, Paul said, who gives me victory. So there's victory over the flesh. And Paul says you get victory over the flesh by denying your flesh, picking up your cross daily and following him. So there's this initial work of sanctification in Christ, uh, being born again, adopted into the family of God. 
having our sins washed and cleansed, but there's a progressive work of sanctification. This is called spiritual maturity. This is where the, the things in our lives uh, begin to look more like Jesus Christ and less like the world and less like our sin. So he says, this is the will of God, sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now in the context of the church in Thessalonica, they dealt with this. There was uh, loose living, sexual immorality, do whatever pleases you. That's what the world says. The world would say what makes you happy, what pleases you. You should do those things. Now the problem with that is that uh, those desires and interests change. And what pleases you one moment is not going to please you another moment. And so Paul says that we should crucify our flesh, not please our flesh and, and ourselves, but please the Lord. So we'll talk a little bit more about sexual immorality as we get into it. That verse 4, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, meaning to have self-control over your body. That's what he's saying there. In sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also uh, forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. Notice Paul points the source of this teaching to the word of God. It's not Paul's opinion it's, uh, it doesn't change from season to season or from year to year or from decade to decade. It is uh, founded upon the source of God. It is his command that we choose to violate and to reject when it comes to uh, God's design for sexuality and sexual intimacy and sexual sin and sexual immorality. So we're just going to pause there and make mention of a couple of things as Paul inspects the church for this type of holy living. This is his desire. He prays for this in the church, uh, but now he provides a context and an instruction and a teaching. And one is uh, an exhortation, and this is a strong exhortation. In fact, he uses the word to urge, which is a military command. It's kind of like a general who is commanding and giving orders to his soldiers, and that's what Paul is doing. This is a strong sense of, of urgency, uh, that Paul is warning the church against this type of complacency. He says, I want you to increase more and more and to abound in your spiritual growth and not to become complacent in that type of growth because, as I mentioned earlier, we can become uh, apathetic and complacent and go through the motions. And Paul, in this urgency, as well as in his prayer, is bringing to the surface the importance and the significance of us taking those steps of growing in our faith and uh, and walking to please God and knowing his will, that God desires for us to know his will. There's another verse that I often think of when it comes to God's will. It says that whether we turn to the right or to the left, our ears will hear a voice behind us saying, this is the way, walk in it. It's an Old Testament passage, but I, I love it because there's flexibility in the will of God. That as you are loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and are loving your neighbor as yourself, I think there's a lot of flexibility to do what God is calling you to do and, and to live a life that is fun and exciting and joyful. Uh, God's commands are in the Bible are not there so that we can't have fun, but they're there so that we can't be harmed. And when we look at it in that sense, there's a great freedom 
when it comes to uh, living this type of, of life that uh, is uh, fulfilling his, his will in our lives. And so Paul says, there's growth. Grow in this. And I urge you to discover the, the will of God. And he says, what is the will of God? It's sanctification. It's this idea of being set apart, being made holy. That's kind of the word for sanctification, the process of being uh, made holy and molded into the image of God. And so um, as we understand God's will, notice what, what Paul is saying here. He's, he's saying that we should lean into one thing. If we lean into sanctification, then we lean away from sexual immorality. Notice that? When we lean into the process of being consecrated and devoted and made holy to God, then what happens is, is we lean further away from the passions of the flesh, from the sexual immorality. And so if, if God's will is unclear to you in your life, then maybe you need to unclog some sin in your life. Because the two are connected, Paul says. For, God, for us to understand the will of God, then uh, it means that there is an unclogging and a purifying and a cleansing of sin in our lives. Now, that's not to say that we're perfect and we have everything all together and we're not going to struggle with certain sins from time to time. But it does mean that uh, if God's will is unclear, then maybe there's something hindering the clarity of God's will in your life. And Paul says it's sanctification, it's holiness, it's purity. And Paul provides um, the, the negative teaching. The positive teaching of this is that we lean into uh, sanctification. The, the negative is to abstain from. Notice he says to abstain from sexual immorality. And Paul says that every act of obscenity should be treated with the utmost severity. He, he says it's serious. Um, and it's serious on, on a number of reasons. If you take a look at the rest of Scripture dealing with sexual immorality and sexual sin. Now, this word that Paul uses here is a general word to describe any sexual sin that is committed outside of the command of God as well as the covenant of marriage. And so within those two um, contexts, there's a general sense of sexual immorality. But the scriptures also tell us that when we commit sexual sin, it is a sin not only against God's commands, what's so a sin against God, but Paul says here in this verse that it's also, as well as in First and Second Corinthians, that it is a sin against another person because it violates them as well. As you go back into the book of Genesis where God designed marriage to be between a husband and a wife, a male and a female. And within that marriage covenant, the two shall become one flesh. And so when there's a violation, listen, of God's commands, not man's opinion, not man's thinking, but God's command, not to keep you from having fun, but to prevent you from harm, then we see the, the perversion of, of that sexual immorality in our lives and um, the breaking of that. And Paul says it's, it's very uh, serious. So not only is it a sin against God, but it is also a sin against other people, but we're also told that sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies, against our own physical bodies. And so um, there's a seriousness that Paul is bringing to the table when it comes to uh, this uh, abstaining from sexual immorality. Now, if we're to abstain from these types of sexual sins, what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to be holy. 
We're supposed to be consecrated, be set apart. And a life consecrated to God is separated from the world. As I said earlier, the world will tell you, well, what makes you happy? What is fun? That's the, the, that, those are the questions that the world is asking. What is fun? And the alternative questions that a Christ follower asks is, is it true? Is it right? And is it godly? And when we ask those questions in pleasing the Lord, remember it's the Holy Spirit that is activating his word and truth in our lives. And it's bringing conviction, but it's also bringing change. It's bringing correction. It's bringing comfort to be separated from the world. Now, that's kind of difficult because every single one of us are embedded in the world. We have relationships and there's normal life that takes place. Well, that just means that you look differently as a Christ follower. You sound differently as a Christ follower. And you behave differently in a way because you have a different set of standards. Your standard is not based on how you feel that day or what you think about that situation. Our standards are based upon the standard of God's word. Now, Paul goes on to talk about at the end of that section, he says, well, why do we do this? Why are we consecrated to him? Why is God's will sanctification in our lives? One is because God will punish sexual immorality. He goes on to say that no one should take advantage or defraud in this manner in verse 6 because the Lord is the avenger of all such. He's not talking about the Marvel movies. He's not in the Avenger movies, but uh, he's the avenger. He's the one who will punish. So uh, we follow God's commands because there's punishment and judgment in not following his commands. Secondly, we are told that it is inconsistent with the life of Jesus Christ and the teaching of God's word. Thirdly, we're also told that uh, it rejects the commands of God. And then lastly, which is the wonderful hope in this, is that we've been given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one given to us to have the power and victory over the flesh. And uh, the lusts of the flesh, it can include sexual sin, but it can include all kinds of other issues of anger and um, a bitterness and all of these uh, things that are not pleasing to God and are contrary to the fruit of the Spirit, which is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. So these are the, the works of God that are being produced in our lives as we please Him and being sanctified by him. So notice Paul is talking and urging the church. Remember, it's the church being people, individuals, to live a life because God has called us to holiness and cleanliness, I think is what he, the words that he, he uses here. Not uncleanness, but holiness. And then notice that he uh, provides for us a contrast between the lusts of the flesh with uh, the duty to love others. Notice in verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Everyone say love. And indeed, verse 10, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Notice a second time the word urge is being used as well as to increase more and more. So in these second set of verses, we see that Paul instructs the church to live friendly lives. I, I use the word friendly because Paul uses the word uh, brotherly. And there's various descriptions and definitions of love 
in the scriptures, in fact, different Greek words, and one of those is phileo, which is being used here, which is a, a brotherly love. This is a kind and affectionate love. There's another love word that's used in a marriage relationship of intimacy. Uh, there's also a, um, a love word that's used to describe uh, sexual immorality and sin. Uh, type of love, but Paul is using this brotherly love, this love that we have within the church towards one another. And uh, so we see a couple things here. One, that Paul explains that this is the most simple and basic uh, commandment. The, the commandment to love is the most basic requirement of life. We're told to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, that we should love one another, for God is love. And uh, that as we love one another, other people who do not know the love of God, who are not born again or followers of Jesus, they would uh, see God in our lives. That they would see God in our lives by the love that we have towards one another. So there's a couple of things here. One is the love within the church, the body of Christ. And as the body, we care for one another. We are interdependent upon one another we depend upon one another and uh, so our different abilities and gifts build up and edify other people and so Paul is saying that within the church within the body of Christ this should be obvious and evident because of the command that we've been given but also the example now we have to also remember that this is in the context in the previous chapter of the church experiencing a lot of pain and a lot of persecution and a lot of trial and hardship and uh, we're also told that this church had a labor of love. And love in labor is very difficult. It's hard. Why? Because love requires a cost and it can be very messy from time to time when we come alongside people because people are experiencing a lot of brokenness. And when we can, we can give love to one another, then I, I find that, um, well, that should be the quality that oozes out of us, Right? When, when we're pressed and when we're, we're going through hard times, it's kind of a, maybe an analogy is, um, you know, if you're going to go home and barbecue uh, and you've got your meat or your chicken and you put that meat or chicken in a bag with marinade, right? Now, I've really got your attention. You're like, I got to get out of here. I got to go to old barbecue time. It's ready to eat, right? Um, and, uh, but you marinate it. Why? Because, you know, you want to tenderize the meat. Uh, but then those flavors penetrate deep into the meat. And then when you barbecue it, you cut into it, you bite into it, oh, it's juicy, it's good, it's tender, it's flavorful. Well, the same is true of a person who marinates their heart in God's word. That as you let the word of God penetrate and tend, uh, penetrate your heart, and you let, the, you let uh, the Holy Spirit tenderize your heart, then when you experience life, when life bites you, when life cuts you, when, when life presses in on you, it's love. It's love should be uh, starting to ooze out of our lives as, as, as life begins to squeeze in, right? That's what Paul is teaching. He's teaching about the character that is un, unbreakable and unshakable and unmistakable when it comes to being a follower of Jesus in the most difficult and hard times. And this is the love that Paul says should be evident. It's the command to love, but it's also contrasted with the dangers of the inappropriate lust of the sexual morality with the duty of affection. This is a duty that we're all called to. So we put away the 
the inappropriate lust, but we hold on to the affectionate love and should be an extension not only in our church and in our lives, but also into other people. Notice Paul says that this is expanded beyond your church. This is remarkable. I love the verses that talk about how when people see the genuineness and the authenticity of Christ followers and the church. Now, some people have had bad experiences in churches or with church leaders or pastors or elders or deacons or boards or whatever it is because they've seen the hypocrisy. Well, they, they look at the hypocrisy and they look at the inconsistencies and they look at the pride and the greed and the arrogance. Unfortunately, that can be a part of some churches and some people. Uh, no one's perfect and no church is perfect. But those shouldn't be what we look at. But unfortunately, those are the things that we see initially. And that's because you and I, as Christ followers, are the hands and the feet. We're the skin. We're the Jesus skin to people. Oftentimes, it's uh, the first thing that people come in contact with, with church or with Jesus or with God, is how we behave, how we respond, and how we Act And so there's other verses that talk about, I love in the book of Acts, how when the church was formed and birthed by the Holy Spirit and they were loving one another and they devoted themselves to the teaching of God's word and the breaking of bread and the fellowship and prayers and they went from house to house and they were encouraging one another and they were providing for the needs of others, that God added to the church daily those who were being saved. And that people on the outside of the church were looking in and they were drawn like a, like, a, like a moth to a light. They were drawn to the powerful work of God in the midst of a, of a messed up broken people. And Paul ends this portion of scripture by talking about how not only the love of God should be evident within the, the walls of the church and the heart of the church people, but it should also be towards those who are on the outside. It's going to be uh, something that people see. And so there should be no barriers or boundaries to the bountiful love of God. No barriers that should keep that love from expanding beyond our lives and into our communities. And then lastly, we see Paul encouraged uh, in these closing verses that we're going to study this morning, verses 11 and 12. We're going to hold off on verse 13 and going into the first half of chapter 5 uh, for another time, dealing with the return of the Lord and the, the, the day of the Lord and the rapture of the church uh, we want enough time to talk about that. But verse 11 says, that you also, notice it's a continuation. There's a, there's a semicolon in the previous verse. So this is a continuation of Paul's uh, urgent desire for them to increase more and more and to aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly towards those who are outside. Notice, we're loving people within the church and we're living our lives as an example to those who are outside of the church. That you may lack nothing. There's just a few verses there, a couple words, but there's a lot packed in there. I see a few things. One is the mouth, the head, the hand, and the feet. Our entire bodies, right? Uh, to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So not only is it quietly, it's faithfully, it's diligently, and it's properly. We could spend a lot of time looking at each one of those things, but Paul says to live a quiet life. That doesn't mean that we stand up, we don't stand up and speak. That doesn't mean that we take a vow of silence and we never say a word. No, he's talking about our lives. 
He's talking about the way that we live our lives and the contentment that we have in life. You see, godly contentment cannot be found in worldly entertainment. In the world, the world would say, I've mentioned this already, but the world would say, well, run after things that are fun. And uh, godly contentment in sanctification and being changed into the image of Christ is something completely different. The Bible says also that godly contentment uh, with holiness and purity is great gain. There's wonderful things to gain uh, as we are content. Now, contentment means that we're satisfied. The world is never satisfied. The flesh is never satisfied. But in God, we can be completely satisfied because Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink of this water, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you will have streams of living water gushing out of your life, which is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And you will be completely satisfied. Because I spent many years of my life trying to satisfy the longings and the achings and the desires of my heart and of my life and of my flesh. But it was only temporary. And I was more lost and more confused and more hopeless after I came out of that bender or I came out of that, uh, you know, drunken period of time. And I realized I was not satisfied. But when I gave my life to Christ... He fulfilled all those longings. He satisfied me, not on the outside, but satisfied me on the inside. And there was a contentment. I no longer needed the things of this world to make me happy or to please me. And uh, Jesus became my source of joy. And Jesus became my source of contentment. He can do the same in your life if you need God to break those things as well. Godly contentment, he says, is a quality quietly living our lives before the Lord. But he also says that we should mind our own business. That's an interesting phrase. That means we, uh, we stick to the plan. It means that God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. And if you're always looking at other people uh, then, and you're involved in their business, then you're not going to be about God's business. You're not going to be about what God has in your life to do. And everybody's business is a little bit different, but our business intersects from time to time. And a big part of that intersection of business is to fellowship and to worship and to seek God. But uh, I think that you and I are going to lose a, a great sense of happiness if we don't mind our own business. Because there's a, there's a happiness and a joy that comes from really keeping our eyes focused. This is kind of the idea of being faithful with, God, with what God has called you to do, with where God has called you to be, and with what God has given you to do uh, with your hands, to be very faithful and focused on that because if we are comparing ourselves to other people, that's just going to rob our joy. It's going to rob what God is doing in our lives and that goes into the hands, right? He says, and to work with your own hands, to be very diligent, that you and I can't complete God's purpose in our lives if we're constantly competing with other people. If uh, we compare and compete with other people, then we're not focused on what God has for us. So Paul's saying, focus quietly, faithfully, diligently, as well as properly. He says that your walk and life and manner of lifestyle can please the Lord. You know what? Uh, as a Christ follower, sometimes that's not going to please everybody. But you're not here to please everybody. We're here to please the Lord. But as we please the Lord... We can also love other people. We can let the love of God pour out and ooze out of our lives. 
and not have any boundaries upon that love for other people. It's the kindness, actually, the Bible says. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's not the judgment of people because we're not here to judge. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can bring the conviction. But it's the word of God. If we have the word of God, then uh, that's going to be the source of truth and the source of contentment. So in closing here, we'll have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song. But stay with me because I, I think that there's some important takeaways for us. One is holiness. Yes, that's right. Other areas of immorality, sexual immorality, areas that are not pleasing to the Lord, areas of our lives that are not consecrated to him. We're not going to... Sh- Go around the room with a show of hands, but God knows your heart. God sees. God knows. Let me encourage you as we sing this song to allow the Lord to soften. And maybe God's will is not being completed in your life because you've got something clogging it. And I encourage you to confess those things to the Lord before you leave today. And uh, secondly, I, I think that there's an encouragement for all of us to increase and expand and grow in love towards other people to have that affectionate love but maybe there's something about what Paul says in those closing verses that uh, the happiness and joy that you're so caught up with what is happening in other people's lives that you're not living your life you're not living your life the life that God planned for you let me encourage you to ask God to fulfill that as you walk with him. So with that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Uh, We thank you for scriptures like this that challenge us and convict us. We all have areas that don't please you. And you've called us to be holy and set apart. And I pray for any one of us in this room or those who are joining us online where there are strings attached to this world and God has been speaking to you about cutting those strings and I pray Lord that you would break and cut and remove and draw close to us in those areas Lord we thank you for your faithfulness thank you that you've given us the Holy Spirit have victory over the flesh. We want to be pleasing to you. I love you. Love others. Help us to grow and to increase and to abound more and more. And maybe for us today, it's just one little step closer to a life consecrated to you. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.